Hey folks, welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. It is Tuesday, October 22nd, and the Clemson Tigers continue their free fall in the polls after a 45-10 win in Louisville over the weekend, and life is good if not to be taken too seriously given these AP voters. This is Ben, and we've got Sam here today. Sam, I believe this is your first football game recap of the season, is that correct? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the first one of the year, so it's good to get back on the horse and uh, talk about you know how we're clearly awful and slowly working our way down to like ninth or 10th in the rankings. We'll be there eventually. Um, I do want to start, though. I want to kind of steal something from uh, Scott Van Pelt's book, the, his late-night sports dinner show that he's been doing for however a year or two now, uh, maybe three, I can't remember. Um, but he has the – he always starts a show with the best thing I've seen today. And so I want to do the best thing I've seen this weekend. And I think it's pretty obvious. This is probably everyone's if you were watching uh, college football this weekend. But did you see the Sooner scooter, uh, Schooner go over? And the Oklahoma game? Oh, yeah. That was uh, – somebody Somebody messed up real bad on that. And the girl that took a tumble – the guy went <laughs> down, it was kind of fine, right? The girl that took a tumble went over the top of him and then did like a barrel roll. It was really impressive, and I was shocked that no one got hurt. But apparently well, everybody's okay. It's great that everybody is okay because that allows us to laugh at it, at it now. But it was even Absolutely. one of those things in real time without knowing they were okay, you still laughed. Like it was oh. natural instinct to see a calamity like that happen. Totally. Your gut reaction was, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Uh, and just giggling, and then you're like, oh, shoot, they could be hurt. And then they all got up, and it was fine. But, uh, yeah, that was ridiculous. The replays were a lot more enjoyable, knowing that everybody was okay. But if the replays in slow-mo, because they kept playing it over and over and over again during the middle of the game. Yeah, it was good stuff. Well, so that was the best thing I saw this weekend outside of of, uh, Clemson. The worst thing I saw all weekend was uh, Andrew Booth taking a shot at a guy. Yeah, I didn't like that. Uh, you know, Christian Wilkins had had a similar event on Sunday with uh, with the Dolphins. Uh, the memes coming from that one were a lot more entertaining because people were like, "Oh yeah, Christian Wilkins just didn't want to play for the Dolphins anymore because they suck." So he got himself kicked out of the game. Um, but I think something interesting that came out of the Andrew Booth one was that uh, Dabo made him ride the bus home. Yeah, what a great like. Uh, I mean, that was a great move. Very creative. I do like it. Um, apparently, I mean, to his credit, he's handled everything well. Um, and you know, this is a kid that made a mistake, so he'll grow from this and we'll move on. Yep. It's, uh, something we don't like to see. Uh, Dabo apparently sent him off the field before the refs even did. Yeah. I, I, I noticed that in real time that he was setting out before he even got, um, yep. tossed, but I mean, that was, that was a no brainer. Yeah. I mean, clearly something that we're not going to tolerate, tolerate as a program, uh, Dabo's not going to tolerate as a coach. So he sent Andrew off and has punished him for starters by sending him home on a seven hour bus ride instead of like a two hour flight. Um, we'll see if there's any other punishment like suspensions or lack of playing time or 
having to carry everybody's bags or whatever, but, um, Dabo did seem to mention, uh, I think in his presser that he would be, he's automatically disqualified for the first half in the Boston yep. college game, but Dabo seemed to indicate that he'd be back and playing, um, in the second half when he's available. Well, we're as long as he's learned the lesson, we're, yeah. uh, we'll be all right. Also, man, don't like, what's up with punching people in their face masks? So it's something I've never understood. You're wearing a helmet. A lot of people have visors underneath that helmet and you're punching with the closed fist. At least if you're going to hit them, which we're not condoning violence in general, outside of, you know, regular football rules, because it's a violent sport. But if you're going to hit somebody in the head, hit them with an open hand. That way you don't break yourself. You get more leverage to move their head, but it just makes no sense to punch somebody with a helmet on. No, you're going to do uh, more damage to yourself than, um, uh, than the other guy. Uh, well, at least he didn't pull a Yusef Kelly and uh, kick a guy with his, in the head with his helmet off. Um, so Yeah, that's, that's been a whole different level. We're, um, we're making strides um, in the sportsmanship category. Um, so, anyways, let's get to the game here, Sam. And I do want to touch on uh, the rankings drop that we talked about here specifically. Um, you know, Clemson wins by 35 points. Yes, it wasn't a good-looking first half. But to be honest with you, aside from – I mean, it wasn't defense. And then on the offense side of the ball, the offense was driving the football. It was really just the two interceptions by Trevor Lawrence. So taking all that into consideration and how the team rebounded and played well for the rest of the game, they did have a drought there to open uh, the second half. I don't think they mm-hmm. scored for the first time in the second half until about five minutes left in the third quarter. But, I mean, let's look at Alabama. They were only up 21-10 to 10 at halftime. Um, against Tennessee, and that was at home. Uh, LSU was only up 14 on Mississippi State. Uh, Oklahoma only up 14 and halftime at home against West Virginia. So it's not like Clemson's the only team that it's happening to, but then, you know, when we go on to a 35-point win, we don't get treated the same as some of these other teams that are playing also inferior competition. Yeah, and I mean, of the three teams that you just mentioned, Alabama, LSU, and Clemson, we played the strongest opponent of the week in LSU. Uh, Tennessee is terrible. And Louisville. Uh, and, Lu- yeah, sorry. Louisville is the best team that we played. That was in the competition of those three. Tennessee that Alabama played is awful. And Mississippi State is a bad team in the SEC. They're one and three in the SEC, three and four overall. It's not, it's not like these people are blowing out other teams. And we ended up with a higher margin while playing third and fourth string guys in the fourth quarter still like we always do, than either of those teams did. So, uh, you know, yes, Ohio State crushed Northwestern, but Northwestern's one in five. It's not like that's supposed to be a close game and they won by 49 points. They crushed a team that's terrible. Yeah, and don't, uh, don't assume that their defense is world beaters because they only gave up three to Northwestern. We've seen what Northwestern's quarterbacks can do this year, and that is little to nothing, uh, specifically following trying to follow Hunter Johnson. But it's the offense is anemic there. So, um, But, you know, Fields, four touchdown passes again. He's a, he's a great quarterback. We know that. But, I mean, give me a break. The, and the logic just doesn't check out, okay? So I, I, under, I understand us dropping after the North Carolina close win, having Alabama jump. Up. Totally, totally. Whatever. And then we go on the bye week and then LSU jumps us. You know, and I, it wasn't. Again, I fine. really, yeah, yeah. I didn't have much argument about LSU jumping us, but then why doesn't LSU jump Alabama in that scenario? So that was, 
the, the logic didn't really add up there because Alabama hasn't played anybody this year. Exactly. And then, they, and then the this week, and, and then this week, you know, we go on to win forty-five to ten, and we're we're joking during the game after kind of the slow start. We're like, aha, we're going to drop in the polls, and but it's not like a joke, like. If that actually did happen, we'd be surprised. It was actually the next day when it did happen. We were like, see, I told you. And we all just laugh about it now. It's, it doesn't even – and even the players are laughing about it. So we know not to take the AP seriously. Um, and we know that all we have to do is win out and we'll be just fine. But it's it's just so interesting to see kind of play out. And I'd hate to be that Clemson fan. I think there's like a media bias against Clemson because I don't think that's the case at all. But when you take a look at things, it is, it's pretty odd. Listen, Clemson and Ohio state are the only two teams with top 10 defenses and offenses in that top five. Um, so I think that speaks for itself uh, more so than the, what the AP voters have to think. Yep. And I think at this point, it's really just the national narrative that we're underperforming. Trevor Lawrence's numbers are not, world beating they're not super impressive he ended up with a pretty solid outing actually against Louisville after the two early interceptions but you know people saw game one where we crushed Georgia uh, Georgia Tech and ETN had 200 plus rushing yards and Trevor Lawrence looked fine although he had picks in that game as well uh, and they expect us to win by a million while looking like it's easy every week I don't understand why the narrative doesn't extend to teams like Alabama but for some reason, it doesn't. Uh, maybe it's the SEC bias. We all know it just means more. Um, but, you know, that's fine. As long as we keep winning, like you said, we just have to keep winning and things will work themselves out because we, you know, we're, we're not going to lose to shitty teams if we play like we did this week. Um, it just isn't going to happen. We had a close scare against North Carolina. If we play like that again, you know, things could get interesting. But... I don't think it's going to be a concern uh, if we keep doing what we're supposed to do. Well, the schedule doesn't surely doesn't present uh, too many obstacles. We can, we've talked all year about Wake Forest and South Carolina there at the end of the season. That's going to be a tough one to get through and we'll face a, at least a mediocre team in the ACC championship game. But I think we all know it now, as opposed to years past with, with Clemson football, if we feel like we're getting some little bit of shade or disrespect, um, we react differently to it. But I think this year we're just like, whatever, man. We know. Um, we know how good this team can be. Uh, we know that this team has currently got, uh, what, top five defense after losing all those guys last year. And we're looking yeah. every bit as good as we were last year. And we've got most of the same guys who were on that offense uh, that torched Alabama for 44 points last year. So I don't think we're, any, uh, we're worried about uh, that side of the ball coming together. And to be honest, when just we did struggle against North Carolina, but it's not like we're struggling against these other teams and we're putting up points. And, you know, Trevor could just be toying with them, trying to fit some throws in. I know we were, it's a lot of discussion about him not checking down, but, you know, I still think they're kind of just testing stuff out here uh, while they're playing this weaker competition. And once it needs to ramp up, it will. Yeah, I think that's a good segue to talk about the offense. But, you know, it's clear that we're not pushing the boundaries and trying to crush every team. We're still trying to get backups in early as early as possible. And Trevor is still definitely figuring things out this year. It, it's a combination of him pressing and trying to do too much, probably. And the play calling is, you know, we're not letting the full playbook out yet, probably still. And he's made a couple of bad decisions on just plays where things didn't go his way, you know? Uh, so I think 
there's still room for growth in this team, which is terrifying because, like you said, it's top 10, def- top 10 defense, top 10 offense already. Um, we expected the offense this year. The defense is a very pleasant surprise. And uh, we have a lot of room to get better. Yeah, and I honestly believe, you know, I think what we're going to see, um, I think we're going to see come to fruition what we thought the beginning of the season was going to look like and that, and that the offense was the more dominant side of the ball and the defense was tested a little bit more. I think as the season goes, oh, that's obviously opposite here at the beginning of the season. I think as the season goes along that you may see that start to flip, at least in the sense that the offense is going to get better and become more dominant as the season goes on. Now, whether the defense continues doing what they – what they have been doing that remains to be seen uh we're not necessarily playing teams with dynamic offenses though louisville has put up some points the last two games they do have a a decent offense and this you know defense was ever to, uh, able to take care of them but um I, I still see no reason to believe uh that that this team that this offense in particular isn't just going to continue to get better and if we uh, i mean i'm not going to be surprised if we blow teams out in the playoff again this year should we make it totally agree and I think opposing teams and fan bases and beat writers would be fools to think that this offense is a shell of their former self. Yeah, I think all the pieces are there still, right? Uh, everyone but Hunter Renfro is back. Um, Mitch Hyatt. And Mitch Hyatt. But, you know, Tavian Feaster, Adam yeah, Choice. Yeah, I a couple guys. Yeah, but we've replaced those guys with potentially better in some slots. Uh, and, you know, but, it's just... It's a terrifyingly deep offense across the board. And the, the talent is just too immense to, to not step up. You know, guys are going to make plays. I think this game was a good example of that. The few touchdowns that we did get and big plays that we did get were all from guys making giant plays. We didn't really have many methodical drives where every play we just moved it a little bit. We had drives where we did that that then stalled out or drives that we did that that ended in spectacular plays like the touchdown to – got a um for trevor's first touchdown but guys are going to make plays on this team because they're just too talented not to well and to be fair to the offense again in this one well and again i don't think the offense played bad by any stretch of the imagination if you don't we're driving we're driving the ball those uh to begin the game um bt potter hits that first 51 yard field goal which was amazing to see i know everybody yep, every Clemson fan was excited about that um and maybe you see Booth come back next game and make some type of similar significant play um, to get him out of the doghouse. That would be nice to see. Um, but the, the the following two drives that were Trevor's interceptions, we were moving the ball. Those were at the goal line. Yep. Um, so the offense was functioning, and the play calling didn't need to be dynamic in this game. Louisville does not have a good defense, not as good as the, the Florida state defense that we faced the week prior and towards them and we started to see a little bit more eye candy in the backfield in that game um, a little bit of opening up the playbook uh, going out there against Florida State and coming off of that close in, uh, North Carolina win but we didn't need to do that in this game so you didn't see as much of the eye candy it was a little bit more vanilla but it was efficient and we moved the ball on the ground running the ball which was good to see yeah very balanced approach this week we ended up with 33 passing attempts and 37 carries uh, a lot of those were Trevor scrambles. He ended up with 10 carries on the day. So a little bit more than we'd probably love to see, uh, although he did break a couple that went pretty far. He had a 20-yard carry that was pretty sweet. Um, but, you know, it's good to see that we can still have a totally balanced attack without, number one, using all of our players all the time and 
when we get the uh, the backups in, and you know it's still effective no matter how we do it. It will be interesting to see. You brought up Trevor running the ball, and that's something we've been consistently talking about um, every week here as um, it's become obvious as the season has gone along that this is a a part of uh, what's baked into the offensive game plan is is using his legs. Um, I think that one run you you mentioned may have been that QB draw to get a first down on third and along from our goal line in the third quarter. Um, I do wonder, this thing is obviously on, on tape now. It's part of our offense. I wonder, it'd be interesting to see if, if teams start scheming against this in some way. Because if they don't, it, it, it is such a weapon in this offense. It game in and game out. It continue, he continues to have these big uh, runs, uh, whether they're to pick up first downs, pick up check yardage, uh, get into the end zone, whatever. It's working. Yeah, I think it can only work in our favor to have him be mobile. Uh, you know, you just want him to take care of himself a little bit better. The announcers during the game mentioned it a couple times, but there are plays where he gets, you know, five, seven, 12 yards, whatever it is, down the field. And instead of taking uh, a slide and the safe finish or running out of bounds, which he did do a couple times this week, uh, he is trying to finish and get a couple extra yards at the end of every play, which. You love that attitude, but when it's your quarterback and he's, you know, the potential future Heisman winner and number one overall pick, you'd kind of like to see him slide every once in a while. And it's just not his nature. He doesn't want to do it. And that is the only thing that scares me about his running, because when he does it, he's actually pretty darn good at it and can break off those 20-yard runs because he's super fast straight line uh, with those really long strides. And... He, you know, he's capable of cutting and, and making moves to get around guys as well. So I'd love to see him run. I'd just like to see him finish the runs a little bit safer. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that, although I do enjoy seeing him kind of running over some people. Um, I'll say another job, another thing that he's done really well is his, um, his reads in the, in the option game. Uh, when he decides to, to keep it himself versus toss it or hand it off to, to Travis Etienne. There was a couple, I think, stops in this game where he got stopped at the line, but for the most part, he breaks them off for, for chunk plays. So interesting to see his development there as well. I think that's one positive that we haven't talked about. Yeah, and you know, when he's handing it off to guys like Etienne and Malusi and uh, Lynn J. Dixon, these guys can break any run for, for a 50-yard touchdown. So it really helps sell the option when he can do that. And he's taking advantage of that against defenses. He's really reading it well and uh, seeing where the linebackers are breaking. And if they're leaving him a giant lane, he's taking it. And like you said, he had a couple this week where he got stopped at the line that it was maybe a foot away from being like a five to 10 yard run where he just got his foot clipped and went down to the line or got grabbed just barely. Um, and I think, you know, that's a credit. The fact that it's so open beyond that one player that he couldn't quite make miss is a credit to him for making the right read because, you know, if you give ETN the ball in the same position, there's a good chance that he makes the the player miss and takes for 15 yards. Trevor will do that less frequently, but he's still very capable of doing it. It's it's He's doing a good, good job putting them in the right position. Yeah, he's not going to be juking guys out right and left, but he's also uh, surely no Peyton Manning either in that regard. Um, you know, another thing I've been mentioning the last couple of weeks uh, where his mobility has shown to be an asset is, is getting him out, getting him rolled out and throwing on the run. Um, for one, he just has the natural ability to be able to do that. He's got the arm strength and I really, how it helps him, it lets him get out of the pocket and kind of get a different view of the field. 
Um, but it's also something that opposing defenses in the college football ranks probably don't have to prepare for uh, that often because not as many quarterbacks in college football, at least in my estimation, are as talented enough with their arm and their ability to be able to make those throws. Um, so we've seen that work uh, the past few games, so that's something I would like to continue to see more of. Absolutely. The, the two best ones that he made where he was on the move were the touchdown to Ngata that I mentioned earlier where he stepped up in the pocket and was kind of running forward and made the throw and put it on a dime where only Joe could get to it. That was a fantastic throw. And the other one is the kind of obvious one where he rolled out to the left and threw uh, a little out route to Amari, who then took it for 61 yards. And that one was pretty soon after the interception, so it was nice to see him kind of get settled and make an easy throw and get some reward for it. Cause after that point he looked great the rest of the game. Um, and I think, I think that's kind of a way that the coaches could take advantage of his, you know, physical abilities and his mindset, you know, it kind of seemed like it calmed him down to get him out of the pocket so that he wasn't trying to go through every read. He had one simple read to make, he made it, he made the throw and it turned out great. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's exactly the sense I get when I watch those plays kind of unfold and be executed. And it's, it tends to seem to be a high percentage play. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we'll, well, again, we'll see how, how much more that's incorporated into the offense moving forward. Um, but speaking of those interceptions, uh, particularly those interceptions, and there was also the overthrow to J.C. Chalk where he could have run for a first down on the first drive of the game. Yep. Um, you know, the first one was kind of high to Amari in coverage over in the middle of the goal line, and then he threw another at the goal line uh, when T. Higgins was, was taken out of his route. Um, I think he did have a check down to both those situations, so I think that's the place where you can uh, maybe crit- – well, you obviously can critique Trevor Lawrence there. But, you know, I don't think both those interceptions, at least in my, uh, in, in my amateur estimation, were, were necessarily all his fault. The first one to Amari – um, I, I think the announcer went a little bit overboard by saying that Amari betrayed his trust. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that one was probably a bit of a high throw, and also one. I mean, that wasn't you know any of the six six wide receivers out of the, out there. That was Amari Rogers. Um, so that one did seem a little forced. But the second one, it seemed like T Higgins got interfered with, and probably would have been there for that ball had that guy got on uh, had that the defender not gotten in front of him and uh, took him out of his route. Yeah, I think the announcer made a good point before he went too far with it uh, in that Amari ran the route a little bit deeper than he was supposed to, and that let Trevor think that there wasn't coverage on top, um, and he did totally overthrow the ball, so it's on both of them. But the second one, I don't know if T was going to get to that. It was pretty high, and obviously he went down, so there was no chance he was going to get to it. I totally think it was at least... um, you know, defensive holding or something. It was he was interfered with. Um, but if but, if you deem that ball uncatchable, then you don't throw that flag. Exactly. Uh, like, which I, it was pretty high. I wouldn't have probably called it uncatchable, but it would have been a hell of a play from T if he'd been able to get to it. I think. But even if he's able to get a, a hand on it and knock it away and prevent an interception, it seems Absolutely. like he should still have the ability to do that. So yeah. Um, yeah, again, not too worried about these. These are all correctable mistakes. These are not all inherent problems uh, with this offense or with Trevor Lawrence uh, specifically. So I'm still not concerned. I don't hear a lot of concern amongst other Clemson fans. You know, these uh, pundits and beat writers can continue to, to vote us down in the polls, but at the end of the day, I still have confidence that we'll be fine. We still have confidence in Trevor Lawrence. And... um 
you know, just, just let it play out. Um, now, something that's not in question is how good of a runner ETN is. And after that game against North Carolina, he has been running violently the past couple of day, uh, games, violently to the point of where he's hurting himself. He's hitting other guys so hard. Um, he had a couple long runs in this game, including a long touchdown run. Um, it, I, I just don't know how the kid can run so fast and so hard into people and to be able to make the spin moves and everything that he does. It's just incredible to watch. Yeah, he's one of the players on the team and just in college football in general that when I'm watching and he makes a play, I just think to myself, oh my God, he's good. Uh, and like there are very few players where you have that reaction. And his first run of the game that went for like 40 yards, it wasn't a spectacular run. It was up the middle and he outran people and then got chased down barely. But the one where he broke it to the outside, I think it was his second second or third carry of the game, broke it outside to the left, broke a tackle early, and then stiff-armed a guy to, a ground, to the ground and turned a zero-yard or negative-yard play into a nine-yard gain is the stuff that just makes me drop my jaw and say, holy crap, how lucky are we to have this guy? He is a grown man amongst boys, and he just runs, like you said, so hard on every play. He turns things that should be losses or, or nothings into gigantic gains. Well, and when you see him uh, run with that kind of ferocity and, and all of that power where you can really start to see, I think this year, some of that upper body work is um, you're starting to see that pay dividends with him running the ball and breaking tackles. But then that takes you to pass blocking. You're like, well, come on, man, if you can run like that, you can certainly pass block. I think he's been doing a really good job picking blocks up for the most part this year. It's definitely an improvement. He's also really improved in the receiving game. He's got more catches this year already than he had all of last year uh, for more yardage as well and a touchdown. He's got a little 23-yard receiving touchdown at some point in the season. Um, so he's, he's continuing to improve, and he was already one of the most explosive and dangerous backs in college football. So I can't wait to see what he does at the next level. I think he's going to be probably the first – running back from Clemson to actually have an impact at the NFL level. Yeah. And look, you know, he gets 192 yards rushing only on 14 carries. So as you're going along, you're really like, you know, he's got big runs and he's like pretty much getting 10 yards every time he, he, he touches the ball. But man, some guys, 20, 25 carries to get that many yards. Um, you know, well, I mean, a, he ran at an average of 13.7 yards a run in this game. Just, I, I think, I think when we see him gone next year, it's going to be one of those things we're really not going to know how great he was until he's gone. Um, it could be one of the situations with Travis Etienne, just because he, he makes it look so easy, and we've been mm -hmm. watching that for years. Yeah, he's, he's just incredible. Um, and we've got good guys behind him, but I think of the, of the guys that are getting carries now, Mikey Dukes, uh, Darian Renter, Lindsey Dixon, and Ches Malusi, the only one that seems to have that similar mindset to me is Malusi. When you see him make like an eight-yard gain and then jump up and like look pissed off that he didn't get more, I'd love to see that. Uh, and he seems to run really hard. He doesn't have quite the agility that ETN does. He's a really good straight-ahead, straight, straight strong runner. Uh, Mikey Dukes is a little bit more shifty. And uh, Renter and Dixon have, you know, they're, they're both solid as well. But I'm really excited about both freshmen. And I'm curious to see if Malusi's going to turn into the number one back next year um, by virtue of just his ability to run through people.
Yeah, I think based off of what we've seen out of Lynn J. Dixon, that's actually a good point to think about. Uh, we all assume going into next year it's going to be Lynn J. Dixon as the number one guy. But, I mean, you're right. The, the door's open for Malusi to, to gain some ground. He ran really well in this game. Been really impressed by what we've seen out of him. He's broken some big runs this year. But, again, like we saw with Lynn J. Dixon last year, kind of picking up big junk plays in garbage time is still kind of what Malusi's doing this year as well. Absolutely. So, um, that that'll all play itself out, and that's that's next year. But it is encouraging for sure to see him um, him come along, and I think he's clearly separated himself um, as the number three back. He had five carries on the day, uh, which is just as much as Lynn J. Dixon had. Yep. Yeah, I think I think he is working on moving himself up to number two if he continues to do what he does, what he's been doing with the touches he's getting. Um, obviously, Lynn J. is a little bit more well rounded. He is probably at this point the better receiving back and probably the better pass protector as well. But that's something that can be learned, both those things. Uh, ETN is proof of that, right? He's much better this year at both those things than he was the previous two seasons. So I think it'll be an interesting, um, you know, when when ETN leaves, I think it's going to be an interesting competition between the remaining backs. But um, whatever we end up with is going to be solid. You know, these guys are good. And what I think for sure, Malusi might be your pass pro guy next year uh, with the ability to to stand in there and take a hit as opposed to Lynch Dixon. But um, we'll see. Uh, That's a conversation for uh, 2020. Uh, You mentioned Richard. He got a a touchdown in this game. Good good to see that. I think that was his first one this year. It was. Um, uh, Cornell Powell got on the board with a touchdown, finally. Good to see him do that. Uh, Davis Allen got his first career catch as we're learning that Jalen Lay is going to redshirt this season, um, if at all possible. So good to see Allen. We've been wanting to see him get incorporated more into the offense um, because when you've got J.C. Chalk and uh, Price, was it Luke Price, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, out there leading your receiving court tight end, uh, that leaves a lot to be desired. So good to see Allen uh, continue to come on. Yeah, I think the receiving core, you know, they're so deep. We had T. Higgins got one catch for three yards. He had a couple of plays that got uh, overturned that looked like big plays. Didn't they both look like he got his feet? So the first one on the sideline uh, looked like his foot came down out of bounds. The touchdown one that was, was, a, was a touchdown. Yeah. I don't know what the rest were looking at. He clearly dragged his foot. You could see the little pebbles coming up out of the turf. He would have been uh, defying gravity. It was, that was an incredible catch. Should have been a touchdown. The announcers went into a story about how he used to get um, like toy cars every time he got a touchdown in in uh, Pee Wee football, and they said they'd give him a, a toy car for that one. And I think they should have because it was clearly to me a touchdown. He made a great play on the sideline. So he ended up with only one catch for three yards, and we still had guys make incredible plays at receiver. Um, you got Nagata making the catch at the back of the end zone. You had Justin Ross making an incredible catch in the back of the end zone. You had Amari Rogers breaking off that 61-yard run on the throw from from Lawrence on the, on the rollout. Like you said, DeAndre Overton got in there. Cornell Powell got in there. TJ Chase. We had so many guys making catches uh, that even when our best receiver has one catch for three yards, our receivers are still better than theirs. Yeah, and well, good to see Justin Ross lead the team in receptions, and you know we've been kind of waiting for him to come on. But I think there's you know two constants with this offense that that should be uncompromised. That's run the ball with ETN and throw the ball to T Higgins. Um, so one catch, uh, three yards, 
not to what I would like to see every game, but if he did have those two other close ones, it was just Louisville um, against better competition. I obviously don't think you see that happen, but and at ETN, throw it to T. That's a formula for success. Yeah, it doesn't get much simpler. Okay, speaking of constants, let's uh, talk about the genius of Brent Venables. Okay, so I'm going to say what is I think should be obvious to everybody at this point, Sam, that this, this has to be considered Brent Venables' best coaching job to date. Uh, he won the Burles Award, but with all those spectacular upperclassmen, but what he's been able to do this year with such a young a defensive team, such a drastic shift, uh, shift from the um, the strength of the defense being on the defensive line last year, as opposed now to the back seven this year, and what he's been able to do with the schemes, getting creative and play to those strengths. Um, I think this is clearly his best job to date. Yeah, I definitely agree. There are so many differences from from year to year, from this year to last year, that it's clear that he's completely changed the approach for the defense. We blitz way more than we ever have, and that's because the defensive line can't get the pressure it used to. We're getting almost no pressure up the middle. Pinckney and Tyler Davis are great in run protection, but they don't really get behind the line very often, whereas Dex and Christian Wilkins were blowing plays up constantly behind the line before they were even happening. So there's a lot more attacking through... Um, you know, crossing of, of defensive players as they come in, blitzes from the outside, from the inside, over the top, from the from the corners and the safeties. It's just, it, the defense looks completely different than it has in recent seasons. And the fact that he lost so many guys that went straight to the NFL and were still top five defensively is pretty insane. Yeah, the defense has held their uh, first seven opponents this year to under 300 yards a game. Uh, that's an amazing stat in and of, its, of itself. We talked about Louisville and, and how many points they've been putting up uh, the last couple of weeks. They've put up a combined 103 points against uh, Wake Forest, who, again, is a good football team. I don't think that game uh, necessarily is a, a full reflection of Wake Forest. And then against Boston College, who generally has a, a decent defense. Uh, they're not a good football team this year. Um, so that's a pretty incredible streak, uh, keeping everybody under 300 yards for these last seven games. One streak that did fall, uh, Javion Hawkins, the running back for Louisville, uh, was the first 100-yard rusher in 28 games against the Tigers. He had 129 in this game. So that kind of sucks, but when one streak dies, you just start another one. Yeah, and I mean, it took him like 26 carries, 25 carries, to get to that. So it's not super concerning that they gave up that many yards. There were certainly plays that we would have liked to have held him to less, but he only averaged five yards a carry, which isn't particularly impressive. We had uh, one, two, three, four, four guys on our team get five or more carries, and they all averaged they averaged seven, four point seven, thirteen point seven, and then Lindsey Dixon had two point two. But like everybody else is doing as as well or better than Hawkins was on a play-by-play basis. So we still held him to pretty modest numbers given the number of carries. Yeah, and we, listen, we allowed 15 first downs in this game, which is the second most this season behind uh, Texas A&M, who uh, I believe we gave up 16 maybe, or no, maybe that was 20. Um, but this, this tells me two things here. Uh, their, their touchdown, uh, Hawkins' 25-yard run, that's all coming against the backups, right? Four-string yep. guys. And so what this is telling me is, A, how good our first-string guys are because Louisville showed that they are 
a pretty good offense in just kind of handling our third and fourth stringers. Um, so it does tell me that our, our first, first, second team guys are as good as, as advertised, I believe. Um, it's it's um, no smoke and mirrors, I think is what yep. I'm trying to say there. But I think it also does give you a peek into the Louisville's offense is good because, listen, Syracuse did not uh, do that against our third and fourth stringers. Neither did Florida State, right? Um, I guess yep. Florida State did score some points, I think, there at the end, but it wasn't to the same capacity, at least in gaining yards and big chunk plays that Louisville had in this game. Um, so, again, I think we played a def- decent offense as far as our schedule is concerned, and the, overall the defense played phenomenally. Yeah, I'm super pleased with how the, the defense performed. I thought that we got really good performances. Obviously, uh, Justin Foster got named ACC Player of the Week, one of the ACC Players of the Week, so he clearly had a fantastic game. Uh, Isaiah Simmons is another one of the guys that makes me go, holy crap, he's really, really good. We're going to miss him when he's gone because uh, he's just ridiculous. And, you know, the line had a pretty good outing. The linebackers played really well this week. They were missing fewer tackles than they have been in the last few weeks. Um, so I think across the board, it was just a really strong performance defensively. Yeah, in, in my notes here, I think you've heard this from Dabo. Niles P- uh, Pinkney had his best game of the year. He was uh, getting consistent penetration in this game. So um, based, you know, obviously going back to what you said earlier about him and Tyler Davis not necessarily getting that same penetration we've had the last couple of years, it is good to see that kind of start to come on. Yep. And I think what we're going to be seeing as whereas last year and the year before we kind of had veteran guys coming into the, the, the defensive line situation is we're grooming these younger guys this year who don't have as much experience, but you're going to start to see them get a little bit better and a little bit more effective as the year has gone along. And Venables has been able to use that three-man front scheme relying more on the back seven to bring pressure um, to help compensate for some of those weaknesses. But once those guys kind of grow into it, um, I think that's going to let Venables be even more creative with his play calling, have even more formations that he trusts, which is going to make it even harder for teams to opposing offenses to, 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 to pick apart this defense. Um, Justin Foster, it's funny you mentioned, and he looked uh, when you from the eye test when you're watching the game like he had a great game. Mentioned him being Player of the Week, but Dabo said he didn't even, he didn't grade that well in this game. He had some big plays, but he was still missing some assignments. Um, so that was interesting to hear with how with how good he looked. Um, I still think missed tackles are concerning, but the guys are in the right place. So I think technique, yep. we just kind of need to shore up on that. And um, yeah, totally agree about Isaiah Simmons. He just he just pushes people down. So my new favorite thing is Isaiah Simmons coming uh, at runners near the sideline and they just go out of bounds because they're terrified to get hit by him. And then if they don't, he literally just two hand shoves them. He doesn't even tackle them. He two hand shoves them at whatever angle he's at and they go flying. It's the the guy must bench press like 3000 pounds because the way he's pushing people, they're flying through the air. It's so awesome. And he's so tall too. He has leverage over them, right? Yep. So that that certainly helps as well. So it's enjoy this, folks. Like watching Isaiah Simmons play, it's game by game. He just gets better and better, and it becomes how obvious that I think we're you know we've talked about it this year at the beginning of the season. He could be first round. We moved our projections, or at least I did, up to probably top fifteen. He's entering that top ten classification right now. I think if there's an NFL team out there that that needs a, a linebacker. Um, as a spot weakness or in the secondary that this is a guy they're going to take a flyer on just due to his uh, his his he has the NFL body he has the physical ability 
he has the, um, uh, the, the, the mental capacity, right, to, to, to play that position. He's a hell of a smart player and has all the athletic ability in the world. So it's, it's been um, quite a pleasure watching Isaiah Simmons play football this year. Yeah, I mean, he leads the team in tackles for loss, sacks, and total tackles. And the total, the total tackles is 59. He has 59 on the season. Second highest is 39 for Jamie Skalski. So he has 20 more tackles than anyone else on the team so far this year. He is far and away the best, the best guy defensively for us. And he is just a pleasure to watch when he's on your team. I'm sure the other teams don't quite feel the same way. No, and they shouldn't. Um, I think we really underestimated in the moment how big a deal it was for him to come back this year and uh, not, not forego his senior season for the NFL. Yeah, I mean, he, he's the captain of the defense as well. He is one of the seniors that is out there and directing things. And he just cleans everything up for us. That's why he has so many more tackles than everyone else is because if other people miss plays, he doesn't. And it's just, he's invaluable to the, to the defense's success this year. Yeah. And so um, good to see you, Mario Goodrich, get back in action. Um, because there seem to be teams are starting to pick on Kendrick a little bit. Yeah. And at times it's working. Now, listen, Kendrick is the, he has the athletic ability. I think uh, that is uh, at an elite level and far above his peers, his peers on the team. Uh, but Mario Goodrich, listen, he's a natu- natural cornerback, right? He's at his natural position. So I would love to see him really come on and start to take more steps from Kendrick and, and step up into that role. Yeah, Darian did not have a good game this week. Um, I, honestly, both outside of AJ's pick, which was kind of just floated up to him, I didn't think either cornerback played that well. They both got beat a few times. Darian had uh, a couple of bad plays, the punt fumble thing into the into the end zone obviously being the big one uh but he got beat on a few plays as well so i I think you know for aj it was unusual he had a couple plays like the catch that uh was heavily contested by him that ended up being a catch on third and long that was a good catch it was an amazing catch he was in the right position it just kind of worked against him uh but darian had a play where we were in zone and he didn't get back fast enough he had a play where he got beat on an out route that turned into like a 15 yard play he had the fumble. So it was not his finest performance, but he, stick, he stuck with it. And by the end of the game, you weren't hearing his name at all, partly because at the very end of the game, he was out because we had the young guys like Goodrich and others in there. Uh, but it's good to see that Dabo's willing to stick with guys, even if they've messed up once or twice, because um, that's how they get better. And like you said, DK is learning this position. He has never played it before at this level. Um, so I think. You know, he'll continue to improve throughout the season. I would like to see guys like Andrew Booth when he's not uh, punching people in the face and Mario Goodrich get more snaps. Uh, They are playing a lot, which is nice, but I'd like them to see some earlier action against the stiffer competition. You know, it's ironic that um, you're allowed to punch people in the face in hockey when most players don't wear masks, but in football where everybody wears a mask, you're not allowed to punch them in in the helmet. Yeah, and you're supposed to tackle people in football, but if someone goes down to the ice when you're punching them in the face, they call the fight off immediately in hockey. Weird balance. Well, it's just a weird sport to begin with. Um, I was going to talk about something else. So you mentioned A.J. Terrell. Um, I think maybe um, 
again, in my opinion, and and Quacken Tiger actually mentioned this in his write up of the game, um, that that deep play, the big play to Fitzpatrick, he actually should have had help from Nolan Turner over the top. Um, so you know, when you see guys, maybe what we think beat AJ Terrell, it's not necessarily the case. He could be playing the right assignment. Totally. Um, yeah, I mean, the one in the North Carolina game, he just cut off. He thought the guy was going to break off the route and kept going. Uh, but other than that, he's he's had a phenomenal year. Um, elsewhere on the defense, um, I still think that I mean there were still some things to be cleaned up in this game. Um, I still think a good running team could rack up some yards up the middle against us. We'll yep. see again with the development of Davis and and, and Pinkney. Um, and Louisville, listen, let, they they had some they left some plays on the field. There were some plays to be made. You know, they played Absolutely. with two quarterbacks that really didn't affect their uh, their game planning or their play calling. Um, but you know that that pick on the opening drive was almost a Louisville t- touchdown. Yeah, that I mean Isaiah and I think obviously it was uh, Kavon who got the pick. So Isaiah and Kavon were both there, but neither one went in front of the receiver to get the ball. Which had he jumped like two inches higher and had good hands, it should have been a touchdown. It was That was a play that turned into a positive for us that really wasn't a positive. If I was Venables, I would have been pretty upset with how they played it. Uh, obviously, big play from Kavon to catch that and get the pick, but there were a few plays, that one included, where Louisville just missed it. You know, It was, yeah. oh, uh, it was there for the taking. Yeah, Atwell dropped one or two balls yeah. that, that would have turned into big plays. Absolutely. Um, so got to clean those things up. Better teams with better personnel are going to start to make those plays. Uh, special teams-wise, uh, Spire's punts were not that great in this game. Um, you know, I've been kind of uh, singing his uh, praises all year long, mainly because he's done a lot better than he's done last year. He's been more consistent. I will admit that some of his longer punts are actually shorter punts that have the benefit of a, of a long roll. He was yep. not getting those rolls in this game. Um, uh, several of those punts cut off short. Um, you already mentioned the, the, the Kendrick bobbled punt. Um, but hey, BT Potter, man. Let's go back to him real quick. Looks like he's probably stolen the job back after Sawicki uh, missed a field goal, a short field goal. But yep. um, everybody uh, got on Dabo's case for yelling at the, the kicker. But uh, guess what? Yell at the kicker. Mind games work, man. Debo's the master. He knows what he's doing. He knows his players. He knew how to motivate BT to, you know, get focused and, and do what he needs to do. You know, hit a 51-yarder, first drive of the game. It was straight down the middle, pure. He had another four or five yards on it as well. Um, and then he ended up hit kicking four of the six extra points this game. So uh, once Sawicki missed that medium, it was like 45, I think, yard field goal. BT came in and, and did the rest, and I think he's probably, like you said, I think he's probably won that, that job back, and hopefully he can keep it nice and tight from closer range and, and hold on to it and be a, a good fallback for us if we can't finish drives. Yeah, I was just, uh, I was actually kind of excited on that first drive that we stalled because I knew where we were on the field and people at the bar were like, go for it. I'm like, no, nah, man, it's third and long in that field position. And I did the math. I'm like, 51 yards, send BT was, out there. I was this like, oh, the, BT will come in for this. It's the perfect chance for Toman. All the talk coming into the game, how he's going to be the long field goal guy. And first shot right there, 51 yards um, on the road. And man, he, he came out and nailed it. So great to see. Um, great to see the coaching work. Yeah, uh, you know, Dabo's not going to get any credit in the national media for 
him coming out and doing well the next week. And a lot of that goes to BT, right? But clearly Dabo knows what he's doing. And this was a really well-played situation. He didn't take away his job completely. He stuck with him for the things that he's the best at, which is the long kicks, kickoffs, and long field goals. Um, but gave him a chance to do the rest if, if he was willing to step up, and he did. Well, and good to see the kicking drama has not drawn out for more than um, half a game. Yeah, it was, it was pretty brief. Settled pretty quickly. Um, okay, well, that wraps it up uh, for our recap of the Louisville game here. Again, Clemson winning this one 45-10. Uh, score being about what it should. Well, shaky, shaky start there with the, with the offense. But overall, when you're beating teams by this much, that should not be overlooked. It's up to, what, 22 in a row now games that, that Clemson has won. Um, so I think when you look at that in perspective, uh, we're pretty happy um, whether or not they drop us in the polls. So, um, Sam, let's talk about all those teams that are jumping us. Okay, big news off the bat. I didn't even realize this happened um, until the next day. I wasn't keeping tabs on things. But uh, Alabama, too, goes down with that ankle injury. He had surgery, what, yesterday, the <laughs> next day? Mm-hmm. Uh, they say he's going to be out this week against Arkansas, which shouldn't be a problem for, for Alabama. But moving forward, I mean, they're saying he's going to only miss one game. But Yeah, I mean, you never we'll, know. With we'll surgery, see. Right? And, L- and LSU's on the horizon. Yeah, LSU's in like two or three weeks. It's coming up quick. So if he's not back for that game, it could be a very interesting turn of events. Uh, if, he's not back for, of if he's not back for that game, they're going to get annihilated. I know LSU's defense is not uh, great, but there's a big drop down between Tua and whoever that next guy is. Yeah, it's, it's going to not be good for Alabama if he doesn't come back quickly. Uh, but I do think it could be interesting uh, as far as implications for the playoff go because if they lose to anyone without Tua uh, and they have a bye week after Arkansas, so it's three weeks until the LSU game. So he should be back. But if, he, if they lose to Arkansas, that would be a disaster for Alabama. Uh, but I don't think that's going to happen. So if he doesn't play against LSU and they lose against LSU without Tua, the committee is not going to hold that against them because Tua is one of the top quarterbacks in the country. And so I think that is one way that, you know, the, the top four could see both LSU and Alabama get in is, you know, they're, they're angling for the rematch and the revenge game for, for Tua once he comes back. And, you know, the top four right now are the top four that I picked going into the season to make the playoff. So anything that works to make that happen, I'm on board with. Because I always like to look smart. Um, yeah, I mean, that's really, you only really need to look smart. You need to be smart, Sam. Um, that's right. Um, Mac Jones is their backup quarterback. And just by name alone, um, that, that does not bode well for them. How do you follow Tua Tagovailoa? We got like Mac Jones. Um, let me let me paint another picture, an alternate universe for you here, Sam. And that's not them losing to LSU, but... Let's say for some reason they lose to Arkansas this weekend. Arkansas kind of has their North Carolina moment, uh, but Alabama doesn't have Tua. I can tell you what the narrative would be. Uh, Alabama loses to Arkansas without Tua. Tua comes back over the bye week. They go in, they beat LSU, um, and they go on to win the SEC. They're in. 
right? They're in the Clear, college football clearly. playoff. Doesn't matter that they have the, the loss to Arkansas. Clearly. Um, especially with, with Tua not being in that game. Now, why last year when we almost lost to Syracuse, had we lost to Syracuse without Trevor Lawrence, do you think that would have been taken into to consideration? Because the story is this year when, when, when um, uh, the announcers talk about it is that Chase Bryce saved our season. And I'm going to give him credit. Like, I still think that that was huge and we would have it'd been much harder uh, been a much harder path to into the playoffs had that not happened. But do you necessarily think that uh, we would have been down and out? No, because we were number two last year going into the playoff, right? Um, so I think we might have dropped to three or four, but I don't think they would have put Georgia in, who was fifth in those rankings at the time at 11-2 and two with the loss to Alabama in the SEC championship game. Uh, I don't think there's any way they would have put them in over us with – out our top quarterback and that being our only loss. So, well, so I guess what I'm trying to say is there's, there's at least two scenarios, possibly even three where Georgia or Alabama could sustain a loss and still make it in the college football playoff. That's a loss at Arkansas or against Arkansas without Tua, um, a loss to LSU, but winning every other game, winning out or a loss in the SEC championship game. I, I would give that three scenarios where Alabama could sustain that loss and still make it in. Whereas with Clemson, at this point, dwindling down the end of the season, there's zero scenarios. I barring, might, barring a loss and a lot of other teams losing, like after the pit game. The only one that I could see working out in our favor is if Wake continues to win um, and we lose to them when they're ranked top 15 or something and then beat them in the ACC championship game for revenge. I could see that with a one-loss team, us potentially getting in, but we'd need help from the rest of the country. Well, that would work if they weren't in our division. Oh, that's a good point. So, yeah, that's not that, – well, the wake loss would hurt. They'd need to lose again after us so that we were ahead of them because they've only got one loss in conference right now. So yep, that's to Louisville. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's the, the picture of how Alabama um, gets treated differently than us. I'm just pointing that out, not saying it's uh, fair or not fair. Um, LSU, we talked about them. They beat uh, Mississippi State, only held them to 13 points. But please don't tell me that LSU's defense did a good job because uh, Mississippi State's not exactly gangbusters on offense. Burrow did have another good game, over 300 yards passing and four touchdowns. And uh, I think he's leading the Heisman odds at this point. Definitely. He was like 100 to 1 coming into the season. I think he was 200 to 1, and now he's like 5 to 3 or something. So much improved. Yeah, I still think. I. I don't know. I still think you have to, to vote LSU over Alabama. At um, this point, they've got two ranked wins against actual decent teams. <laughs> Alabama has one ranked win against AM, which we don't get credit for ranked win against them, but Bama does, so that's fun. Um, so, you know, Alabama has played no one. Well, and LSU has actually played a good, decent schedule so far. So how it works is that when we play and beat SEC teams, it's because they're bad. And when Alabama plays and beats them, it's because they're great. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's just, it's clear, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So I think, I think LSU definitely deserves to be number one at this point. They've played the strongest schedule of any of the top five or six teams that are, are doing really well. And they've actually looked good doing it. So the eye test, they pass as well. Um, we talked about Ohio State, their win over Northwestern, um, and Oklahoma's win over West Virginia. 
Ohio State jumps us to number three. Oklahoma uh, maintains at number five. Uh, Hertz had another really good game. Um, he could be right up there. He must be second in the Heisman right now. I think uh, he is. Yeah, I would have to think. Um, uh, the drama began happening after that with the Illinois knocking off Wisconsin 24-23 to on a last-second field goal. Um, Wisconsin's one of those teams, you know, I want to see – other unbeatens start to fall, but they're not one of those unbeatens where I really care about falling because I know they're probably going to lose at some point. Uh, yeah. So I was kind of pulling for Wisconsin just because I want them to be the team to come out of the Big Ten and not Ohio State. But Well, they have a chance to prove it this next week. They play Ohio State. They do. So Ohio State loses to a one-loss Wisconsin team, probably knocks both of them out. So um, sticking in the Big Ten, Penn State, uh, that game got close against Michigan. Only beat them by seven, 28 to 21. Do you think Penn State's legit? Because I don't. Uh, I think the answer to do you think Michigan's legit is a good precursor nope. to that question. Well, we know so, how I feel about that. Exactly. And I knew the answer to, to your, your answer to that question. So my answer to your question is the same as yours to mine. I do not think Penn State's legit. Um, agree to agree. Um, Florida now up to number seven in the country. I pointed this out on a post on Facebook that another reason that the AP poll loses all credibility is because they have Florida as the best one loss team in the country. Yeah. They struggle against South Carolina. South Carolina was up 20 to 17 heading into the fourth quarter. Florida did uh, end up winning by 11, 38 to 27. But I mean, does anybody really think Florida is good based off of what we've seen this year? I certainly don't. I was totally not on board with them at the beginning of the year. I'm still on that boat. I think Auburn looks better than them. I think Georgia minus the South Carolina game has looked better than them. I think Wisconsin minus the Illinois game has looked better than them. So there are several teams that are, in my book, would crush Florida in a in a real meaningful game. So, you know, they'll lose again. They'll drop further. But because it's SEC, if they lose to another SEC team, which is all that's left on their schedule, uh, they're only going to drop a couple spots. So they'll probably end up top 10 uh, by virtue of being an SEC school. They did beat Auburn. They did, but I just don't buy it. That was, was that at home or on the road? Uh, Auburn lost to Florida at Florida. In the swamp? Yeah. So- yeah, well, I don't know. I think Auburn's over here. I don't think Bo Nix is really that great of a quarterback, at least not this year. Um, but other than that, they've beaten nobody. They struggled against Miami at the beginning of the season. They had a close game against Kentucky. Um, otherwise, they've beaten Tennessee and Townsend uh, in, in, in South Carolina this weekend. So, um, yeah, there's several other one-loss teams I would have above Florida at this point, and I, I didn't think um, Trask looked very good in that game at all against South Carolina. Um, keeping up with um, more mm, uh, mediocre, subpar SEC play, Georgia, 21, Kentucky, nothing. I think yeah. that game was – was that game scoreless at the half? Uh, I'm not sure. I didn't watch it. Yeah, it, it was, was scoreless. Uh, it was scoreless at the half. It was 0-0. Zero to zero. They were at home against Kentucky. And it was zero zero at the half. Why doesn't George, did Georgia step take a drop in the polls? Uh, uh, nope. No, they're, they're still at number ten. No, nope. they stayed flat. Uh, maybe they just need to get back on the road because they clearly suck at home at scoring points. <laughs> yeah, and so all these SEC teams are having a, a 
close first halves or a close game to other bad SEC teams, and yet we still have five out of the top ten being SEC teams. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, it just doesn't – just the math doesn't seem to add up there. Um, one of the teams that I think is deserves to be in the top ten over some of these others, and that's including – uh, maybe even Auburn, although I know that Auburn beat them to kick off the year, but Oregon has been playing pretty well. They beat Washington 35-31. to 31. Herbert had four TDs in this game. Um, I, you know, I think they're the, the cream of the crop out of the Pac-12. That's not saying a lot, but um, you know, I think they lost to Auburn at the beginning of the year more to coaching decisions uh, other than, rather than the personnel play. Uh, so I think all, Oregon eventually, they're ranked number 11 now, but I think eventually they're a solid top, top 10 team. Yeah, I think they'll continue to move up. Uh, they've got games coming up against Washington State, bad. USC, uh, probably bad, but okay. Arizona, not very good. Arizona State, decent, currently ranked 24th. And Oregon State, awful. So uh, they don't have a super strong schedule the rest of the year, minus that ASU game. And I would imagine they are going to plow through those teams. Yep, and so goes the Pac-12. Um, have they played Cal? Yeah, they beat Cal. They beat Cal. Oh, well. Um, Missouri lost to Vanderbilt. Yeah, that was, that was sad. Kelly, Kelly Bryant looked more uh, Clemson-like in the stat column, not, not throwing the ball very well or for any significant uh, milestones and ran the ball a lot more in that game. I think when Kelly Bryant's running the ball from Missouri, that that probably means that the – they're not in a great position. Um, finally, wrapping up here with the ACC, we've been saying I'm going to keep my eye on North Carolina this year. Well, they lost 43 to 41 in six overtimes against Virginia Tech. Um, yeah, Sam Howell did have 348 yards and five touchdowns, uh, but that doesn't knock North Carolina at, out of it by any stretch of the imagination. I think like they Virginia Tech could very well lose another game, uh, which would keep North Carolina ahead of them they've already that would have made them their second loss in the ACC um, this is if North Carolina wins out after this and they play like two or th- the two or three teams ahead of them left in the coastal so they still have an opportunity to, to use this as a growing moment for a young team and young team under a new coach and Mac Brown and still make their way uh, to the ACC championship game in Charlotte um, so again uh, still a team to keep your eye on yeah the only team that could stay ahead of them by winning out um, except against North Carolina is Virginia Tech that just beat them because they are also 2-2 two and two in conference, but um, North Carolina gets to play everybody else in front of them. So they need another loss from, from Virginia Tech to come back, but otherwise they kind of control their own destiny. Well, my money's still on Virginia at this point. They had a pretty big win, 48-14 over Duke uh, over the weekend, which, again, Duke's a decent football team, well-coached. Um, and the only other competition would maybe be Pitt. They had a close one against Syracuse, but did pull it out this weekend. Um, otherwise, just more bad football. Wake beats Florida State by two. Willie Taggart is uh, a <clears throat> – well, there's been rumblings that there's, there's, there's buyout talks, so we'll see how that goes. And then uh, Georgia Tech beat Miami, the same Miami team, the same Miami team that uh, played Florida close. Way to go, Tech. Yeah, Georgia Tech. They did it. ACC win. I don't know how they figured out how to score four touchdowns with that offense, but uh, kudos to them. Some of those must have been on defense. Maybe they just reverted back to the option. Perhaps. Um, looking ahead to next week, Sam, you already mentioned the big game, Ohio, uh, Wisconsin at Ohio State. I believe that is the game day game. 
I'm not sure, but I would imagine it's got to be. Um, it's a top 15 matchup. Another trap game to kind of watch here is uh, Oklahoma at Kansas State. Manhattan, Kansas is a hard play to, place to play. Um, Kansas State's 4-2 and two on the year. So o- Oklahoma doesn't have a lot of tests on their schedule this year, but I think you have to point this out as one of them. So yep. I think definitely one to watch. Uh, obviously, LSU-Auburn, two versus nine, is going to be a big matchup. I don't think LSU is going to struggle in that game, but Auburn should keep the score fairly low. Um, their defense is pretty strong. So, so I think we'll see that, what happens. Yeah, the, I think that that's the thing to watch in this game is does LSU continue to score and put up offensive numbers like they have all year? And is Auburn able to score on LSU's defense, which hasn't been great all year? So I think um, even though we fully expect LSU to win this game, I think we're going to learn a lot coming out of this game. Definitely. I would, I would imagine LSU will still probably put up high 20s, low 30s as far as point total. And Auburn would probably be, be you know, a 10-point underdog. The line's 11.5. I would probably guess Auburn's going to cover that, uh, but it's going to be right around that. So we'll see what happens, but that should be a fun game to watch as well. Uh, and then the last top 25 matchup is Notre Dame and Michigan. So we yeah. talked about Michigan earlier. Uh, Notre Dame every year plays all these big-name schools that are not actually that good. And Michigan's actually favored in this game because they're at home, which is interesting, uh, by one. So I think Notre Dame will win, but we'll see how it goes. This is a, this is a game of between the two most overrated teams in the, the, the last – most overrated programs in the last probably 10 to 20 years. I was going to say, we just talked about Florida, but uh, they're up there as well, but I think you're right. Uh, yeah, Notre Dame is- and Michigan – perennially are highly overrated based on name. Um, other games to watch, Penn State at Michigan State. Penn State now actually number six, 7-0 on the year. Michigan State has not looked good this year. They've underperformed, um, not nearly matching what their ranking was coming into the season, but still um, you know, going to Michigan State, Penn State coming off that win against Michigan. We'll see how that goes for them. Um, mentioned Alabama playing Arkansas, and that's all the games that uh, that, that interest me. Uh, you got anything else, Sam? No, I think the only other stuff to watch is ACC things, uh, but Duke, North Carolina, Louisville, Virginia. Louisville, Virginia could be interesting if Louisville bounces back after a loss to us. It is at home for Louisville, um, so we'll see if Virginia can hold on to their their current lead in the Coastal. It's just the teams are not that good across the rest of the ACC, so it just isn't that interesting. Even when you look at the schedule and think, oh, that could be a good game, it's not a good game between two good teams. No, it's like a close game because they both struggle similarly. Yeah, even when it's competitive, it's boring. Yep. Hey, we acknowledge it. We know. People tell us, oh, your schedule. I'm like, we know. We get it. The ACC sucks. Our schedule is not great. Not our fault. Keep winning football. Friends tell us, our coworkers tell us, the AP voters tell us. We know, we hear it. Keep winning. Fun's in the winning. We're number four. We're number four. You know, it makes it more interesting. It gives us uh, something more variety and something else to talk about. Uh, yeah. And it, it also gives us the opportunity to work our way back up. You know, there's nowhere to go Absolutely. but down when you're number one. And going down's no fun. So, you know, knock us down a few pegs and let us climb back up. Yeah. Gives Dabo some good material to work on as well. So, I'm fine with it. 
Uh, I hope the guys take it as motivation, but don't take it too seriously because if they keep winning, it will not matter. Yeah, number one only matters uh, at the end of January. All right, folks. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. Um, we appreciate everybody joining us. Uh, you know how to reach out to us, ClemsonPodcast at gmail.com or at ClemsonPodcast on Facebook and Twitter. Please do, if you have some time, leave us an iTunes review and be sure to subscribe to us on whichever podcasting app you prefer so our shows can get pushed to your phone as soon as we come live. Um, we will be back at you to recap the Boston College game this weekend. And Sam, hey man, basketball season's quickly uh, coming up on us. So we'll get into that at, at some point. Maybe we can fit in some time. You'll be moving back to Charlotte, so we might not jump on, on it until uh, downtime kind of mid-December, but it's on the horizon. Yeah, two weeks away from, from basketball season. I think we start on the 5th as our first game. So get ready for seven other basketball fans that listen to the podcast. Yeah, and a big surprise. Uh, we're preseason ranked number 11 in the ACC. Yeah. Isn't that like the same position we get we get ranked uh, year in and year out? Pretty we're, much. We're, so- so- we're solid 11. There's a reason that Brad Brownell consistently outperforms those preseason rankings because they get underranked by just a little bit every year. And for that, we do have the sports writers to think. <laughs> so there you go. Thanks again to everybody for listening. We'll be talking with you again after the Boston College game. So until then, and as always, go Tigers. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. And until next time, once again, thank everybody. Once again, thank you to everybody for listening. We'll be. Damn it. You can do it. Once again, thank everybody. Once again, thanks to everybody for listening. We'll talk to you after the Boston College game. Until then, go Tigers. Damn it. No one do that again. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. We'll be back to. Thanks again. You can do this, Ben. Focus. Thanks again. Uh, thanks again to everybody for listening. We'll be back. Uh, thanks again to everybody for listening. We'll be talking with you again after the Boston College game. So until then, and as always, go Tigers. Yes. Nice. All right. Nailed it.